This is Oh Man Rolling Dice. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy from Old Men Rolling Dice. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host or my Jiminy Cricket, as we've come to call him, Jason. And tonight we're going to be talking with Christoph from Old Mage Games. We're going to be talking about a product release that they have coming up called Atlas Rise or Die. And it's sort of an old school sword and sorcery setting role-playing game going to be on Kickstarter very soon. And we're really excited to have Christoph here with us tonight. Uh, Jason and I are big fans. Uh, anybody who's listened to the podcast, I'm sure knows of sort of vintage 80s gaming. Uh, it's when we entered the gaming realm. It's when we sort of cut our teeth on games like Dungeons and Dragons and Gamma World. Uh, the list goes on and on. So, yeah, we're excited. Jason, you said you were nervous. Oh, horrible nervous. This is uh, this is the first time we're really... Uh interviewing somebody or a company that's doing a doing a kickstarter and actually putting a product out there this is a huge step for us i mean we get to talk to a lot of fans and i mean we all are in this sort of hobby because we enjoy it and so many people talk about developing something creating something and building something but to actually meet somebody who's really doing that who's like who isn't just talking the talk but they're walking the walk like there is going to be epicness 80s inspired epicness in terms of role-playing and that's that's my wheelhouse i mean that's where i want to be your discord handle is original grognard so i yeah yeah going yeah. way back eh? <laughs> you get to own it that's the one thing eh? it's uh, being old doesn't have a lot of advantages but uh, ah! in, certain in certain circles right i mean there's a certain amount of reverence so absolutely embrace it and uh and and own it christoph thank you for joining us Thank you so much for, for allowing me to be here. I'm super excited. Uh, I have to say this is also my first time ever giving a podcast about this product to anyone. So I'm as excited and as nervous as Jason. And, uh, <laughs> hopefully together we'll, we'll make it less. Well, we, we've, less, all got a, uh, we've all got a beer or drink in hand. So exactly. I'm sure as the night goes on, we will we'll loosen up and, uh, and you know shake the nerves off. Nothing to, nothing to be nervous of here. Old, Ma Old Mage Games, they're producing Atlas Rise or Die. So Old Mage's Games is the uh, company that we have, and we are uh, developing this uh, vintage um, sword and sorcery role-playing game, if you will. It, it's actually a vintage 80s setting. And if you, if you ever, uh, me from the 90s, you can imagine that for me it would be something that most of the original movies and these original cartoons and stories that we try to bring together into this epic product is actually uh, were born before I was, which is really, <laughs> really crazy. But anyone who's an 80s kid or anyone who was born before in the 90s or even who was born after who loves all these, you know, old slash and hit and, and uh, barbaric, bloody and brutal RPGs might have some fun with this in the future. I certainly don't think an 80s feel uh, excludes anyone from the game. I mean, any role-playing game for that matter. But sword and sorcery is sort of, uh, uh, it's, it's a universal sort of setting and uh, genre even. Would genre be the right word? I suppose genre. Uh, sword and sorcery genre. We love, like I'm a big fan of Fritz Lieber's books which are sort of vintage sword and sorcery uh, with uh, Grey Mouse and Fafford. They're, they're favorites of, of mine. And Conan, if you're listening to this, 
and you have any interest in Atlas Rise or Die, you need to check out the artwork. If you are a Conan fan, you are going to be blown right out of your seat. The the, the first thing that struck me about the artwork was I was like, this this looks and feels like Conan. What's interesting is that I've seen the Conan movies and the books are just much more, much better. And anyone who read the books and uh, saw the movies after, I'm pretty sure they feel the same. And this is what we're trying to bring back here is that setting from the books and to basically merging together all those epic and unique systems that vintage um, role-playing game, a sword and sorcery game has. So yes, we have a, a lot of representations of the Conan books in this in this upcoming... And I think um, that's a good movie. distinction. I think the Conan books and the Conan movie... the Conan. I, I'm not going to say the Conan movie is bad because I love it, but I hear what you're saying that there, there is, there is some difference between how Conan is depicted in those books and sort of the world that he exists in versus how it was portrayed in the movie. I'm not saying the movie got it wrong, but I think there's a real rich setting there with a lot of different looks and feels to it. And the artwork that we've seen, at least in my opinion, like hits the nail on the head. Thank you. No, exactly. The artwork here is exactly what you're, you know exactly what you're getting when you see this, right? If, if you've ever read a Conan novel and, and check out the Atlas Rise and Die artwork, there's an immediate connection. And it's, and it conjures up a lot of those, those uh, uh, sci-fi fantasy artists that you first discover in your teens in the 80s. People like Frank Frazetta and uh, Boris Vallejo. Like you see this and you're like the sculpted bodies, the wilderness scenes, the action, the, the sort of that, that darkness sometimes is just hovering on the edge. Not only that, I found it really Reminded me a lot of sort of the classic invented modules I'd grown up with, like from the late 70s and early 80s. Like I looked at the, one of the larger pieces of artwork and the first thing I thought was like, oh, uh, TSR's Dwellers of the Forbidden City. Like, I mean, or a Hidden Shrine of Tamiochin. Like this is, it's got that sort of jungle vibe going on too. Really, exactly. really fantastic stuff. You want to know what movies or uh, cartoons or books inspired us for it? Yeah, that, that that was actually one of the things we want to talk about. So, in you know, Dungeons and Dragons had something called Appendix N, which for for listeners that don't know what Appendix N is, basically, if you went to the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide, there was a place where you could see sort of what inspired the creators of the game, so that you could get on board with their vision. So, if if you guys were to create sort of an Appendix N for Atlas, sort of movies books what where does the inspiration come from i would say titan from steve jackson one of the major books uh we love the dnd uh, dark sun setting but also uh you, if you if you went through our core book or anyone who's interested to download the core book you could see a bunch of similarities between the two there is another movie for example the dark crystal um, because the magic crystals has an important role in the world of atlas as well Definitely the cruel, the cruel movies, because uh, the uh, aliens from the space plays also a huge role in in our world. There is the uh, the sword and sorcerer. There, that's where we got the inspiration for our early bird game, the the content called Hammerax game that people will get to know soon. If if not on our Facebook, <laughs> and there's also Fire and Dice. This is one oh. of the major cartoon. It's it's older than than I guess almost anyone in this group. <laughs> and, I don't um, think it's older than Jason. <laughs> you don't think no. so? <laughs> I don't know. That's a, when did Fire and Ice... I, first of all, I love Fire and Ice. We just uh, talked about, yeah, for Zeta, the Bakshi, that whole movement, right? Yeah. When did Fire and Ice come there's, out? Let, there's let's no see way it's older than me. Let's see if it's older than Jason. 83? 
No, I was I was old enough to legally watch it at that time. I would have been 13 at the time. I'm older uh, than Fire and Ice. See, you, you're when we say we're old men rolling dice, we're not kidding. It's legitimately <laughs> old. It's old. Okay, so Fire and Ice. That's that's. I, I've already got images in my head of what this uh, this place is like. How about the Tadnar, the Barbarian? Have you ever heard about Thunder that? Thunder the Barbarian? Yes. One of Jason's favorite <laughs> cartoons. We we actually had a cartoon episode and Thunder the Barbarian was was my pick. When everybody's like, bring one cartoon to the episode. Let's talk about uh, the cartoons that shaped you as a child. And I'm like, okay, boys. Like, this was the one. Like, Thunder the Barbarian. I see what you're saying. There's like a post-apocalyptic thing. It's got some sci-fi. It's got sorcery. It's a It's a personal favorite of mine. I think Dragonlance Universe is also something we have to mention because that's also crazy huge impact. I see that too because I've looked at a lot of the artwork and I noticed there's a lot of dragons, draconic, lizard folk. Like there's a lot of reptilian. Who um, doesn't like reptilians? And oh my god, fantastic looking looking women, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know what we wanted to do is we wanted to get rid of this cuteness, this cute element that a lot of uh, RPG games nowadays has, and we wanted to go back to the basics. We wanted to to grab all these sword and sorcery settings, make a twist, forge them together into something unique, and just like you said, the most important thing is that if the artwork is not great, there's no connection between the player and the uh, the, the word itself. So we, we wanted to make sure that the, uh, the images that the artwork you guys see uh, brings you to a level of joy and you really feel like you're in there, you're playing with your character and you're in the middle of nowhere in the desert trying to survive and trying to slash something just to make sure you can get to the next session. We're obviously aiming for something we've referenced a couple times, like old school gaming. So what makes Atlas feel like an old school role-playing game or how do you sort of deliver that 80s vibe to the fans? So uh, as I mentioned, the illustrations and all these artwork, we we try to to invest as much time as we can into these artworks to make it you know like really appealing to you guys, uh, for the fans. And uh, we also wanted to to grab all these little moments from the world of Atlas, like everyday life settings that you you don't always see in, a, in an RPG game. And we wanted to show those. So if you look through our our core book that is available for anyone who subs on our newsletter for free. You can look at some little stories about everyday people, and we wanted to show that because if you see behind the curtain, if you can see all these little stories, then you can you can build up your own imaginary imaginary world around you. And I would say the world, the uh, races that we that we would like to show you guys are probably one of the major factors we wanted to consider. And whenever we post something on, on Facebook and Instagram, we also wanted to have a little story to that. So not just a picture. Uh, we wanted to also direct the, the viewers and the audience to to feel more that they're reading a story, not just looking at an image. That's true. A lot of the images you guys post, it's never just a picture of a reptilian or an orc or a wizard. It, it's not generic like that. Everything's named, and, and there's usually like a nice paragraph or story, or even you have some that are multiple paragraphs. Like a, almost like a short novella with some of the po- the artworks. Fantastic looking stuff. If Thank anybody, you, yeah, if anybody gets a chance or they're listening to this, uh, Atlas Rise of Dice social media, some of the pictures on there are stunning. Like it really is. It reminds me of the sort of the posters you would have hanging in your room as a teenager in the eighties. You know, like you would go to the mall and you would find that epic poster with that dragon, and the women had beautiful curves back then, and the men were muscular, right? Swords were swords were massive. It sort of it captures that whole sort of 
almost bridging from 70s fan art into sort of the 80s fantasy art. Do you want a poster, Jason? We can ship one to you, or you can just download. <laughs> it's it's free for everyone who subs. Oh, so if absolutely. you want to have one, we'll, if you want to have we'll, your women, we can definitely women. we can definitely talk about that for sure. We could probably do a swap. I think we got some old men rolling dice stuff here. So see, see if see if your wife would like a poster like that <laughs> hanging at the at the foot of the bed. Maybe this is this is why I have the uh, the bar go back. <laughs> so, so so you can hang it out there. So you've designed your own RPG system. This is not a setting that piggybacks on to, say, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons or GURPS or any of the other open licenses that are out there. Like, what led you down the path to say, I've looked a little bit at your system, and it uses, for the most part, two, D, two 10-siders yes. as opposed to a 20-sider, which is a nice break because everything seems to use a 20-sider. So my question, I guess, is, like, what what led you guys down the path to not just create a product that piggybacked on another system, but actually make your own system to run this game in? That's a really great question. Thank you for that, Jeremy. Um, there are multiple things here. Uh, one is that originally this whole project was an idea of one of our founding members who wanted to create um, this RPG game for a, for a competition. So it was an RPG competition where you had to come up with, a, with an RPG, a whole system and settings and, and core book and everything he started to do this project on his own and then it never actually went anywhere and it was idling for long one night he just woke up and he was like man i really want to do this it was three years ago and and we got together and one of the major things is that we are not we don't want to rule out anything that is working correctly right nowadays in the rpg games but we wanted to to rule out the ones that are not the most exciting things in the, in the system for example the uh, the d20 which is for example if you look at that you have five percentage you have five percentage chance to roll a, uh, a 20 right mm -hmm. yeah. and if you have a 2d10 you have much less percentage of chance to do that which means that if you act actually roll a, a critical hit or critical failure you are much more excited about oh my god man i really I rem i'm really 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 nailing this fight right now or oh my god i my character is about to die and this yeah, is crazy if you do the math with those with that second dice, you actually fall into that middle range. Like to compare it to D6s, if you roll two D6, your chances of hitting seven, there are so many combinations to hit seven. There are very there's only one combination to hit twelve. So like you're saying, with D10s, there's only one combination that those dice can hit to give you the the 20, and only yes. one combination that it can give you the two on. There's an average in the middle that you're gonna hit more often. But when you hit those crits, they're going to be exciting. That's what like, I was going like to say. Like everybody loves the best part of gaming at any table is a critical hit or a critical fail, right? That's what that's what gets all the guys up and shouting, right? That's what everybody's you know toasting over or, or laughing. And you're right. I guess if all of a sudden you know that when that hits, it truly is special, right? Like it's not the sort of thing that's just going to happen all the time. I think you're going to revel in it more. I, I'm not sure if the, I'm not sure if this came into the building process of the system, but I when I thought about that, I, I kind of like the idea that let's say you're a warrior. So if you're a skilled warrior, the majority of your hits, like you could have a bad night with a D20 and just be rolling ones and twos and threes all night. But with two dice, you have a much better chance of sort of landing somewhere in the middle more often. And I think that sort of story tells better. I think that, you know, as a warrior, you shouldn't be missing that often if you've trained. So having more numbers in the middle. No, you're completely right, Jeremy. It's completely like that. And also, like if you think about 
there are a bunch of systems that uses D100 and they do a bunch of subtraction. You have to divide, multiply, subtract to get the actual number. And sometimes you end up having five minutes of your gaming session, just calculating the math for one, one role. And we wanted to eliminate that. We wanted the game to be fluent. We wanted you to sit down there and in five minutes, if you, if you roll really good dices, you can slice that roll and go to the next one. But if you can't, that's all right. But you don't have to do the math that complicated. We wanted to get to the basics but we wanted to present the basics in a much more accurate level and a much more exciting level. As you said before, you can roll more in the middle ranges. And when you don't do that, that's when the excitement happens. That's when something opening yeah. a trap door or something like that happens. Well, and one of the one of the characteristics that Jason and I have found, having explored a number of old school role-playing games of late, is there is math involved, but they're light on math. So if there's less number crunching, then you can keep the story moving better and you can keep the action moving better because the dice at the table and you've got a result very quickly as opposed to what you were explaining like when you're working in percentile systems and dividing and checking and modifying and yeah yeah so i think i think that only works towards what you've talked about earlier about being an old school system the, the, and you can always implement it to d20 if you want to so it's a system oh, sure. that is yeah. de developed that you can just take the whole system and then use it for the d20 or any other normal settings that you want to use i think if i was someone picking up picking it up i would i would certainly give the 2d10 i would not immediately jump ship to the d20 i think I think it would be interesting to play that D10 for a while and see how that works because... I think so. I think it's one of those things. We've, we've all done the D20, right? And, and some of us have gamed for a long time in a lot of different games. It's something nice and new and refreshing when you're sitting down at the table and there's a new mechanic or there's a new way of... It's a new way of looking at the same old problem. Like the, the end result's still going to be the same. Your actions are still going to be the same. It's just the method of determining them is different. I think it's nice. It's, it's, it's nice to kind of... Uh, Kind of spice it up a little once in a while because it, the d20 system while it's fantastic it almost becomes sort of uh you know sort of old school like you kind of just it's the same thing over and over again mm -hmm. i just rambled there that didn't even make sense we have to cut no it. I, I i got your point i got your point man <laughs> okay. with you I like know. It. Don't, don't cut that part i like it <laughs> so, so i i think i think that anybody who has role played maybe any dungeon master or game master and i think in rise it's called called lore master am i right Yes. Anyone who's run a game before at some point has gone, I could make my own system. <laughs> it there aren't it never succeeds. Something always, you know, deters. Other than sort of the motivation of just like I'm doing this, what what sort of hurdles in building an RPG system have you guys experienced? What 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 would be a challenge that maybe a listener who's thinking, "Oh, I could totally build my own system." What what don't they realize? lies about this process you know i i played uh, approximately seven years of dungeons and dragons and a couple smaller games and and to be honest i thought the same at some point i have never ever been a lore or dungeon master but i thought about that i can just do it overnight right it sounds super easy well let me tell you something it's actually <laughs> not easy <laughs> so the not. issue is here the issue is here that we have all these subsystems right we have to make sure that the combat the magic the uh, skills all work together in a way that if one is not overpowered, if one is overpowered, then nothing makes sense, right? A lot of the uh, RPGs nowadays that are not a lot, but at least a couple I've played with, has the issue of overpowering the mage. You have so much power that a simple barbarian who would like to help us, the team, has nothing to offer because a fireball can kill everything in the middle of, of a fight, right? So 
you have to make sure that you don't overpower the magic. And in some systems, they, they use a different type of magic. They call it, for example, Psy, or they try to assign different uh, subsystems to, uh, to the uh, soldiers. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that you really count, we really count on you in the fight, on your skills. And each character, um, depending on its race and type, has its own unique, not system, but unique abilities if you will, that, you, that he, he or she can use to, to make the fight um, enjoy, uh, enjoy, enjoying. Sorry, I'm rumbling here right now. Enjoyable, I think, is where, where you're Enjoyable, going. Yes, exactly. Mm. So we, we, try to, we try to balance out all these magic combat systems. And for example, one thing that we, we implemented is the uh, influence um, system. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you have an NPC that you talk with, it's it's really cliche or if the dungeon master is not the greatest all the characters sounds the same wanted to if you look through our core book i don't want to go into details but if you look through our core book there are a couple small twists to these like i said sword and sorcery special uh, systems that that makes it more coherent so you have to connect all these uh, subsystems and make something forged and coherent and that's the hardest part of it you can always start from scratch but why would we start from scratch if there are systems that are working perfectly so we did not invent the the 2d10 this is something that was invented before we just try to apply it and then do our modifications with that well and this is something that stands out in the system just from reading it so the influence system i immediately thought was interesting i think that uh social interaction in the game it's commonly left up to the dm to just sort of um, make a judgment call but some some players are like look i want to play someone who's really charismatic i'm sorry i'm not a really charismatic person but i still want to play the charismatic character so i'm going to role play as best i can but i would like some sort of nudge in advantage that i'm playing this charismatic character so i thought the influence system was was really i, I won't get in depth on it either but it does use the t- 2d10 just like combat and I also think it's important to note that in this system, it, there's not just a success or a not success. In most of the parts of the book that I looked at, there was varying types of success. You could have a, a small success, a moderate success, or a large success. And the same with the opposite of things. You can have a minor failure, a moderate failure, or you know, catastrophic failure, depending on depending on how you roll. But I, I like that. I, I really like the social or the, the as you said, the it's called the influence system. But it's basically for social interaction, diplomacy, commanding troops, things like that. At least that's my understanding of what I read. Exactly. That's yeah, what exactly I, what it is. I think that I think that's great. And, you know, if your DM doesn't like these settings, he can always, you know, just not use it. You that's know, sort of well, that's sort of like the common rule of all role playing games. It's like if your DM doesn't like this, don't use it. <laughs> Just throw it away. That's true, but sometimes if they throw it away, it doesn't work anymore. Like it just, you know, you're right. Sometimes that off. breaks it. Yeah. Yes. And here, if if it if he doesn't want to, it still works fine. But obviously, it's it's good to be friendly to DM. It's good to be, you know, making sure mm. that your character survives for the next session. So guys, yeah. be friends with the DM. And always buy your DM food and drink, and you know, I'm pu- I'm pushing this because I'm a DM. Don't let him order pizza, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is what I wanted to ask you about uh, designing the system, and and if you don't know the answer, that's okay. But I'm really curious about magic, sword and sorcery systems. Generally, magic is what I would call uh, low fantasy, in that you don't have like the world manipulating wizard that can 
change or if you do in sword and sorcery they are like the pinnacle of what it is to be a wizard i'm just wondering if you know because i know you haven't been involved in all the steps here but do you know sort of where they took their inspiration for designing the magic system what people could maybe be excited about from the magic system that they wouldn't see in other role-playing games so one of the things that we were trying to to accomplish here is that make sure that every magic counts, every small magic counts. And and even if we don't have that many of uh, magic, which I think it's not true we have enough, uh, it's everything that you can cast and everything is worthy, cast worthy. And other thing that you can think of is um, is every magic has a price. So like I said, we don't want a magician who's overpowered. So if you cast a spell, you have to pay the price for it. And everything um, about that is in the core book. So I think that's all. I really, like I really like that idea of that there's a price to cast magic. I would love to see a mechanic in Dungeons and Dragons where, because you mentioned like wizards, as you play more and more of the game and you rise to the level, spellcasters definitely become very powerful in the game. But they don't pay any price for that powerful magic. They're just gifted it. And I think magic with a price I think it's a staple of sword and wizardry. Okay, another thing that I really like that you pointed out is actually a discussion I've had recently with a couple other players is as a first level character, I go to pick my first level spells. I don't know if I'm exaggerating. Was there 200 spells to pick from? There's so many and, and most of them are never going to get used. The reality is they could cut that list down to actual spells that people will actually use that are gonna have actual impact in the game but I think it makes for better play. I think it's okay if somebody just takes a standardized spell and flavors it a bit or does something with it. But I mean, the core mechanics of it, there's a lot of stuff that just seems like it's filler. And for a new player, especially, it's hard to sort through all that. It's, it's a little daunting when you open up and go, I have to pick three spells from a list and there's 200 spells to pick from. I'm really a huge proponent of sort of scaling back your options. I think it just makes for quicker, easier play. Yeah, I agree with you, Jason. And um I think, just like you said, when I first opened a D&D book, I love D&D. Like I said, I played seven years, but I asked my DM, which, which spell should I pick? And he was like, just pick the one that can, you know, help you in, in any situation. And there were spells for dungeons, there were spells for city fights, and you cannot pick that many. And, and here, what we're trying to accomplish is that you don't pick as many spells, but you do have the opportunity to actually help out your team in any tricky situation. And like I said, these... Um, it, we call them magic stamina points that you're using when you're casting a spell. Actually, you can end up losing uh, life points because you run out of, of these stamina points. So you have to consider when are you using these spells. And even they are powerful, they have their price. And the other thing I can mention is is the uh, the scaling. So we wanted to make sure if you're low level, you can make as much an impact as on a high level. But if you're on a high level uh, end of the magician, you're not destroying the entire army with one spell that you can cast. So we're trying to balance out the magic to, to make it even. And just, just to make sure if your friend is a barbarian and you are a wizard, you are not going to take over the whole fight. You will let the barbarian go slash the troll as well. There's a couple of example spells in the handout. Am I okay to read one of these? Sure, yes. It's all free. Everyone okay. can read it. This one example spell I actually really like. It's called Winged Helper. Uh, school of magic it says wild magic we don't need to worry about what that is and magic level it says five and we don't need to worry about that but it does say that you require a beak-shaped whistle i always like spell components that add that little like this is what you're looking for now essentially this is a fly spell but the description of the spell is just 
awesome. So listen to this description. I think this comes right out of a, a movie, but I just love it. It says, with the help of the whistle, the spellcaster summons a large-bodied bird and can take to the skies on its back. And it remains with the caster for five minutes per spellcaster level. You can really storytell with a spell like that. Do you know what I mean? Like the bird swoops in and picks you up and carries you away or you leap onto its back. We know the movie. This is pretty much Gandalf on the tower, right? And the bird exactly. flies by and he jumps off and lands on the bird and flies away. But I just, that is so much more flavorful than just a fly spell that says your wizard can now fly. Like, I just love that. You can just say, fine, you fly. Or you can say that this bird comes along and picks you up and carries you away. And there is so much more flavor and storytelling ability there. So going back to a previous point, too, though, I think this is a really relevant point, is the magic systems in, and even in Dungeons & Dragons, have always been it's always been a challenge. I think as it currently stands in the current incarnation of the game, magic spells and their availability are super strong, maybe even overpowered at times. But then you think back to all the way to the first edition and the poor sort of first edition magic user and, and the hell that his life was, you know, casting one spell once per day and then sitting around in a bathrobe at the back of the party throwing darts, hoping nobody notices you. <laughs> Um, I mean, it, it's, it seems like it's always been a balancing act, and it's just. Nice I'm going to tell you something though. We've gone back and played old school games, and one of the most exciting things we've thought about is being that mage throwing darts. There's something nostalgic I, in that. I teleported into the ground and I killed my uh, mage <laughs> in the first session. Yes. After developing the mage for seven or six hours, I was like, "Guys, I'm going to save you. I'm going to teleport you guys out." And obviously, they all survived, but I teleported into the ground and I died. So this is what we're trying to avoid. Because you had five percent chance to roll that, right? But but when it happens, it's fantastic. Exactly. Like it, it's horrible that you've maybe just lost your character. But the yeah. but that's a memory that like sticks with you. Like it's like, do you remember when Kristoff teleported into that rock? That was amazing. Little fingers exactly. were sticking out. He was screaming. Yeah. No, that's uh, it's, it's something. You're right. Sometimes the the catastrophes are the ones you remember. But it's like I said. I think. It's, in terms of just magic spells in fantasy games, there there's always been sort of that juggling act, trying to find the sweet spot. It's tough to do. I, think I have really to. Is. I have to. Okay, I have to say that this other spell that's listed here. <laughs> Look at. I love he's, this he's one He's too. a book guy. I would. This, yeah, like this is my wheelhouse. The fact this that is I it, got this is... when Kristoff sent me this PDF, I am I immediately dove into it. So this this one's just called rusting, and it just it requires a rusty nail as a spell casting uh, focus. And it says rust settles on the metal weapon or shield, it says in brackets, which I love, and the tar that the target is holding and begins to eat away, rendering it unusable. Someone will call me out on this, but there are not a lot of spells in games like in new versions of Dungeons and Dragons where you can just destroy the party's equipment. Like, I have this dwarf in an adventure right now every Sunday night. Jeff plays him, Jason. Jeff's been on all kinds of Old Men Rolling Dice pro uh, podcasts and things like that. But Jeff has a dwarf with armor class, like, 25. If I could just eliminate the shield, this spell... Like, I might actually steal this spell and write a 5th edition version of it. <laughs> and ahead, just you, you destroy that shield of his and watch his armor class plummet. Oh, if I love you that. do that... I think we do that. That's fine. And we'll do a big social media post and we'll link it back, like officially stolen from. <laughs> and I'll capture his reaction. He'll cry. 
I'm well, sure he'll cry. I don't. You know, I know a, he a lot of times, one of your player, if you're a DM, they make a character that is unkillable. That's that's something I'd I'd like to have. So one of my biggest, I like fifth edition as a dungeon master. I have enjoyed fifth edition, but I'm gonna throw that button there, and this is why I like looking at other systems. I think people can't really die in fifth edition unless there has to be a whole bunch of things go wrong in order for a character to die. Is Atlas rise or die lethal right from first level? It's a bloody barbaric and brutal <laughs> word. So you yes. die whenever yes. you have a chance the DM will kill you. Perfect. That's what I wanted to hear. I'm that sold. Takes- I- that takes us back to the OSR, so, the old school gaming. I have gaming, to tell right? you a story, too. Oh. I'm pretty sure Jason has a story, something like that, too. You guys mm. played a lot of RPGs. I remember when I was playing a different game before. I think it was D&D, and I was new to the game. My first session ever. I was a shipwrecked. I think I was a shipwrecked warrior, warrior who was wandering in the middle of nowhere. It was kind of like a desert settings, and my DM was working so hard the night before to figure out the way to connect me to the team. Now, my character saw a river. The river was black. You don't really see your black river every day, right? This is something really appealing to you. So what did I do as a first uh, timer opening player? I stuck my hand into the river. And unfortunately, the river was a magic river that made my character lose all his memories, all his skills, and made me a level one bunny, basically. I could not do anything with my character at all. I lost all my memories, all my skills, and I had to play, I think, three or four months learning everything again as a child to eventually reach the point when I can play with my friends on the same level. And this is something here that I wanted to say that it's a cruel word. You're going to die if you don't adapt. We don't want cuties and and it's um 18 plus uh, TV, uh 18 plus <laughs> podcast. So let's just say we don't want anything that is not worth living. So we have to adapt to, to the circumstances. And this is Atlas Rise or Dies about either rising up or getting faded right. away in dust right but there's something good about that like when you if your character then makes it like if you know that you're playing in a very lethal system and your character can make it you the, the feeling of accomplishment is so much higher in my opinion so much higher if there was never any risk of death then being alive at the end of the adventure i mean it's still sweet but it, it's not as sweet if you were like okay there were six of us went in there and only three came out that sense of accomplishment of like, oh my God, that dungeon was brutal. Like, did you see what happened to Jimmy? Oh my God. There's there's something about the lethality. We're picking that, on um, Jimmy again. We're picking on Jimmy. Jimmy we've Jimmy's like before. generic name. Who's, who's like Jimmy? Generic. There we is no Jimmy. Jimmy. There is no yeah, Jimmy. Oh. But if we want like someone to die, it's always Jimmy. I always yeah. thought I would just say Jimmy. Yeah. I hope always Anyone who plays this game later as a Jimmy, please, guys, yeah. don't think it as an insult. You can survive <laughs> in this game. You're not picking on Jimmy. You know what? If I, if I play Alex Rise or Die, I'm going to make a character called Jimmy. I'm going to make it called the, the Jimmy. The Jimmy. And I'm Name not at all, character. I'm not condoning that DMs should be killing their their player their player characters. No, that's, not, that's not the case. But if the world isn't... If there is no risk, there is no reward. There needs to be consequences, too, for horrible decisions. Yeah, don't do little like, chickens, right? Just... You know, thing before. Don't put you your know. hand in a black river. Yeah, but also like with the two D two D two ten system, we can also make sure that your character won't die after one unsuccessful roll. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying we're going to 
to kill your character every session, but there's a high risk that you will die, and there's a high risk also that you're going to, you know, nail this dungeon and you will get um, tremendous treasure, and your DM is going to be so proud of you because you finished one hour earlier than his his dinner time is. <laughs> so we should mention oh. that uh, Atlas Rise or Die will be coming to Kickstarter very soon. So what's what's that like? What's what's it like to plan a Kickstarter? Because that's a as as much as everyone's been like, hey, uh, I can design my own system. Well, no, you can't. It's not that easy. There's also lots of people that are like, well, I could go sell if I could just get this on Kickstarter. So, so what's it like planning a Kickstarter? How, is that a difficult procedure? Have you done that before? Is this the first time you and the team have 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 kickstarted anything? Exactly. This is the first time ever. We started it, and we can go into a little bit later in, uh, into that. We started it as something just for ourselves. We just wanted to do this for ourselves, and we realized so many people are interested that we're going to make it as a goal, and if we reach that goal, we're going to come on Kickstarter. And one of the things is that you have to be ambivalent, you have to be determined, because uh, this is not a small game anymore. Here you have to think of long-term plans and goals. You have to reach out to you know, contractors figure out the way how you can ship your product. So there are a bunch of challenges rising along the way and and you have to deal with that. But the good thing is that you are not alone, right? So if if you're doing something like this, you have a team of amazing people, our, our graphical designer, our concept creator or layout creator, they're all doing an amazing job. And and we set every every week for a couple uh, hours of Zoom meeting to, you know, make sure everything's going according to the plan. So you you have to have courage and you have to have determination. But the thing is that we're doing this for our fans, right? So if you're developing a product that you don't like, but you would like to make money out of it, let me tell you something, that's not going to work. You have to enjoy what you're doing. Just like, you know, I think Gandhi said that, that if you find a job that you enjoy, then you never have to work on your entire life. And this is the yeah. same thing. If you enjoy what you're doing, if you if you love your product as much as we do, and if you want to show the word that, this is amazing. You guys are gonna enjoy playing each sessions overnight. Then, then you will have success. And we are hoping that we can launch this soon, and then you guys can help us out to make our dream uh, come true. So this is something really uh, challenging, but all the problems arising arising during the way, you can you can deal with that as a team. Yeah. Uh, now the rest of the team is in Hungary. You're in the U.S. Is that a challenge, or is things like Zoom meetings and emails enough that you guys? Can stay connected and the distance is just irrelevant. I would say it could be a challenge, but my mind works in in the European time zone, and I wake yes. up really early because I have a dog and you know a twelve-hour job. So I always make it happen, and uh, it's it's not really an issue. And you know what? It's actually an advantage because we can cover the people who are from who are interested from the U.S. and the people who are interested from Europe because the posts that you guys can see on Instagram and Facebook. Are coming out, you know, in prime time in U.S. and prime time in in uh, Europe at the same time because I have, I have the ability to post it um, at the time when when someone from the U.S. can enjoy it. So we are trying to aim for covering, you know, the whole world. We would like to show the world that this product is, is not just from Europeans, not just for Americans. This is something that anyone can enjoy. And and I would say it can be a challenge, but we are doing a really great job with that. Well, and we stumbled upon you through I think Instagram, did we not, Jay? We stumble upon it, and I mean the the art. We've we've gushed about right this away. at length, but the artwork is what grabbed us at first. We were like, "This is the kind of game that we would like to play." It kind of takes you back to your childhood, right? And there's always something nice about just feeling young again, right? And like I've looking never, at something going. I think I remember seeing this as a kid. I hadn't even made the connection. Perfectly brand new. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even made the connection to Dark Sun until Christoph 
mentioned it, and there is some similarity as as it, in the way the world Brom. looks. Brom did all. Yeah. yeah. I actually have a question to you guys. Is yeah. is it is it okay to be in this podcast below the age of thirty or not really? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Because I'm it's about okay. twenty five, but if are we you, talk about all the are you below thirty? Are you below thirty? I'm twenty seven. Oh, you're a baby. I could be your dad. I was I, I have kids. Well, I have to, I have to assure you that my my other um, developers are very much very uh, above thirty. So are we they? can we you know we can hit the sweet middle thirties. Yeah. I don't 40s. know what you're the what is the youngest person we've had on the podcast. Jonathan and Colleen are going to no, be pretty No, I think young. Jake. Oh, sorcerer Jake. Yeah, I think when Jake came on to talk to us about sorcerer spells, I think maybe Jake's the youngest. I think it's got to be off. Kristoff's got to be close. Am I yeah. doing okay so far? Or oh, you're doing great. You my, my, no, my friends, you're. I think you're carrying. <laughs> I think you're carrying us, and I'm okay with it. That, that, that's a wisdom thing at this age, right? If somebody's willing to carry, let them carry. We, you have to have a name, right? You have to have a name when you when you start when you start to create a creative output. You need to name it. So we had to name it, and I don't even remember how we came up with old men rolling dice. I wanted to ask that, like it, it I'm, I'm pretty sure you spent in the podcast before, but it perfectly describes what we are. Like we're old men, and we roll dice. Yeah, three times. and we've actually talked about that too. The fact that sort of, I, and I'm sure you had it already when we started doing this. You were like, "Oh, we're going to be old men rolling dice." I'm like, "Oh, okay," but I think it was Did great I? that we did. Yeah, I think it was great that we didn't commit to sort of anything sort of one game specific. Because the reality is old men rolling dice play all kinds of games. We don't have to be just the Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right? We're allowed to look at sort of any sort of gaming that I'm, uh, you know, tabletop or miniature or whatever, because that all includes old men rolling dice. That You guys are, I'm not saying the perfect candidate, but I'm pretty sure you guys would enjoy playing an 80s game. And, and even though it's an 80s game, <laughs> It's not for people who were born before the eighties. Like I said, I'm I'm, 90, I was born in ninety four. So whoever played an RPG game and you know in after the millennial, it's it still feels amazing and and really 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 something outstanding. Just the way how it is because it's so coherent. If you guys loved the artwork, I'm pretty sure the audience would love it too so you guys you can go and check out all the old man rolling dice on instagram but if you also check out atlas rise or die you can see that we have a bunch of similarities with with our taste of um graphics and art if you will yeah i think so i, I i'm going to be in line at the kickstarter don't you worry <laughs> like I've, I've already decided that i need to check this whoever did your artwork all all the kudos to them because even if i picked up this game and didn't use it in its original intent in other words I didn't, artwork. you could pull these this artwork for other games you could pull like just look at i went through two spells in your examples i would import both of these into my game i think they they're both fantastic even if you're like well i'm not really into old school gaming i don't know that this product has anything for me you're wrong i think it has something for you especially if you're a dm that looks for inspiration in in artwork or inspiration even in rule mechanics and i'm that's where i find my inspiration for games i look at rule mechanics and go oh if i if i could use something like this in my game that would be so exciting 
I okay. always love when I'm at a table and somebody does something that no, or you, you encounter a monster, a spell, a villain, a trap, and nobody already knows what it is. I find in fifth edition right now that people have read and studied and scoured over it, that there's no surprises anymore. The door mm-hmm. opens, you describe the monster, they know what the monster does, they know about how many hit points it has, they have no, they know what its spell capabilities are. The minute those players suddenly have to go, what the hell just happened? I don't know why your shield just rusted and fell off your arm. Like, oh my God, there's there's dragon men everywhere. What are we gonna do? As soon as as soon as they have don't have that knowledge, I find it, it that's what gives me that old school feel. I'm suddenly I'm not aware of what's in the room. It seems hostile and something's weird's happened that I can't put my finger on. Is I think a good trait of any sort of game master. I think it's important to import that stuff into your system just to throw your uh, players off once in a while. I agree. So, Christoph, how how long has this been in in the works? It's been in development for about, I think you said, three years. Yes, we picked up the uh, the dropped pen in three years. But as I said, the original concept was ten years ago, and it was sure. just sitting in a in a drawer. And we started to develop this whole project in in the last three years. Do you have sort of over that time as development was going on? Sort of, is there a couple? warm or 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 uh nice memories that because uh, obviously if you work together with a team for a while it's inevitable right you bond you know you're you're you become friends is, it, has it been is there any any like highlights almost right like the, exactly the best exactly. i'm sure there... there's a lot of hours that go into developing this where it's not all highlights you're like there's there's a certain amount of work that has to go in and it's there's no other way to put it. It's just actual work. But every so often, you got to be sitting back and just looking across the table at somebody, or just telling a story, and it's it's got to just make you know put that smile on your face and know that it's worthwhile pursuing what you're pursuing. Oh, that's a great question. I love it. Yeah, we definitely had had um, upside downs, uh, up and downs at the same time. And you know, at the beginning, we started to do this for ourselves. So we we picked up the pen, and then we were like, okay, let's just make this happen. If because our concept creator was like, if I'm not doing this right now, it's never gonna be a game. And we just wanted to do this for ourselves. And uh, we we made a Facebook profile, um, and then Atlas tries or die, and we made an Instagram. Atlas Rise or Die, Old Mages game, we created the basics and we started to see that people love the artwork. And over the time, you know, we had people who dropped out and we had people who came in, like I, I probably mentioned, or maybe I did not, but I just recently joined to this whole project and we made friendships, but we were still doing this for ourselves. And we got to the point when we had a, a nice uh, uh, follower base, we had more than uh, 8,800 followers on Facebook. Wow, and we and we were like, all right, guys, this is this is not just us anymore. It's it seems more like we have people who are interested in our our product, and and let's see what happens. And uh, we were like, okay, so if we reach ten thousand, we're going to make it as a Kickstarter campaign. This is the moment when we decided we're going to launch this product for everyone. So we make it available for everyone to to buy it and enjoy the game because it's going to be epic and we love to make it happen. And we we gave a, a time timeline. I think we said if you reach 10,000 followers um, in the next X, Y, I don't remember exactly, weeks or month, we're going to make it as a Kickstarter campaign. And just in three days, we reached that. 
And we were like, wow, that many people are interested about uh, Atlas Rise or Die. Let's make it happen. Let's just sit down and doesn't matter how long it takes. We're going we're gonna to go through all these difficulties, make sure that, that all these followers who love our artwork, who loves our concept, will get what they deserve. So I think that's one of the most memorable moments for us. Yeah, I think that's great. I think if anybody is a creator of anything, just sometimes there comes a point where, yeah, you're like, I'm doing this for me. There's lots of other people that will benefit. Like there's other people that will enjoy it. There's other people that will use it, but it's for me first. Like I want to see this come to fruition. I think we can identify with that. I think in some ways our podcast fulfills that for us. It's like, we don't need to be, we don't need to be rock stars. We we just want to be, have the ability to produce something and go, I'm proud of, you know, I'm, we do it I'm for proud us. of we that. We do it for us. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. it's one of those things too. I mean, when you're doing something for yourself, like people have to realize there's people who are working, who are students who are doing things full time. When you're taking on a project of this magnitude and doing it for yourself or for your friends, for your own enjoyment, those are hours of the day that you could spend doing a lot of other things. I mean, this is, we talked really, I don't know if it's in here or whether we cut it off, but at the start of this podcast, I'm like, I'm really nervous about doing this. And then one of the reasons why I'm nervous is, is we've interviewed friends about very light topics or we've talked about sort of things that make us laugh. But I'm talking about here tonight, um, something that a group of people have poured a lot of time and heart and soul into to bring to this point. And so like, you, the, the onus is on you. You're like, you You got to step up and you got to be on your game tonight. These people have put their effort into this. The least you can do is show them the same respect and put the effort back in by, you know, trying to help along with their cause, promote it and just uh, and um, help get the information about it out there. So, um, so like, if you would like to see all these, it's all free and available, all the artwork. If you would like to have a poster hanging on the, on, on, on your door, mm-hmm. all you have to do is just subscribe to our newsletter and every second week you will get an amazing artwork that you can use for, you know, for, for background. This is also for people who would like to be in, interested in founding us. If you, if you found us um, just with $1, you will get an amazing content that no one else will ever get after this whole project is out. So you will get something special. And the faster this whole project is getting funded, the more adventures we're going to get out and there are more tricks and there are more gifts for you guys that we'll show you guys soon on on the kickstarter but the way how you develop an amazing and outstanding rpg game is not by doing it because you want to sell it but looking at the people who are going to uh, be interested in that and asking them what you would like to take home what you would like to enjoy because you guys are the one who play six seven hours a day sweating in a small room trying to figure out what's the next step or trying to figure out how to keep you know your friends alive as a dm and in order to to make that happen in order to make it work we have to develop something that is a coherent and you guys enjoy it and if you don't enjoy that then the whole project is going to fail so this is what we're trying to you know uh, look at first you guys because the community that we would like to build during the kickstarter so even though it's out of work the input and just for you guys that you guys took us and let us you know have this podcast with you this is something that we would wanted to reach you know build a community and you guys have a massive following on facebook you have a lo- very large following on instagram so it's obvious people want to see you guys succeed we want to see you guys succeed i can't wait to get my hands on the product 
So like like I said, I'll I'll be in line when Kickstarter hits the hits the ground running. This is something else we've been talking about a lot too recently is, is the, the concept of community building. And it doesn't have to be the community you live in. It can be a community that you're part of, like the gaming community. And I think everybody benefits when a, when a community is strong. And anything you can do to give back to that community or help help ex, uh, expose new people to it or help help people who are trying to get into it to, to sort of better understand it is always good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with just sort of taking something you're passionate about and sharing it with people think that nothing bad ever happens of that christoph we are we are kind of running out of track here but is there anything that we've missed that you'd like the listener to know about atlas rise or die well i got two things i guess at the end okay one is that guys Mm -hmm. if you listen to this podcast and and you got to know this through atlas rise or die go and definitely check out old man rolling dice on instagram and on their website because i've listened before this podcast i spent two hours in my work listening different um content that they created and this is amazing so so if you oh, if you found you. this podcast interesting you definitely have to check out their other content who knows one day maybe we, we play together atlas rise or die right i'm in i think this is something we need to talk about at some point in time absolutely <laughs> yeah, that'd and be awesome. i guess the second thing that i'm not sure if we mentioned but you guys will see that on kickstarter soon anyway that atlas rise or die is only the first uh, setting the first story of this entire universe we try to bring to the the fans and this is the first campaign we would like to show you guys if depending on how well it succeed we were planning multiple we plan four different settings we plan for a steampunk a post-apocalyptic a pirate settings and you will see this on the kickstarter and i don't want to you know like spoiler everything but we are planning for long term and in order to make that happen all we need is your support and i see i already bought these two guys with their support and i hope you guys can you know can find some joy and enjoyment going through this artwork but i guess i'm i'm just at this point fascinated and really really happy about this podcast because i want this out and i want the world to know that you guys are amazing and i hope you will enjoy sitting together and playing this game Oh, I cannot be wait to roll a pair of D10s. I just have them hit the table. I know I, I'm going to get a crit for sure. And I'll, I I'll tell you something else. As, as excited I, as I am about Atlas Rise or Die, Jason and I both have a soft spot for steampunk. Steampunk is definitely so, a thing you know, because it's and, pro-facial hair. <laughs> we're both, we're both <laughs> good at facial hair. Steampunk's always got great facial hair. So oh, thank you for joining us tonight, Christoph. Atlas Rise or Die, guys, you need to check out the Kickstarter when it when it comes out. Uh, we're not going to put a date on it, but it's coming soon. It's coming soon. And here's what we'll do: if we find out what the date is, we know for sure. Once we get the inside scoop, we'll make sure we post it. To, <laughs> we'll make sure we post it to let you know what the date is. Well, so uh, whenever that, Atlas posts it, we'll be sharing it. So you yeah, know, whenever, absolutely. Whenever, whenever they post it, we'll be sharing it. Uh, Christoph, we always sign off with. I don't know if I don't know if you heard it on the other ones that you listen to, but we always sign off uh, the podcast with "Good night, Dick." I know that you can speak Hungarian. Yes, I do. Can you give us "Good night, Dick" yes. in a different language? Yo, Sokat Fasok. Good night, Dick. Uh-huh.